Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. And while you're looking it up, last week we heard the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Jesus was tested and he used this story as an example. And that story was, had a man at the center of it. And this week Jesus is encountering two women. And um, you might not notice it, but Luke does this often. He partners something having to do with men and something having to do with women right beside each other because he is demonstrating the new order of the kingdom of God. And he's elevating women from the place where they've been to where there is no east or west, there's no slave or free, there's no male or female in the kingdom of God. So Jesus encountering two women, and um, I'm going to read Luke 10, and then I'm going to read a few verses from John 11 about these women as well. So from Luke 10, who's got the page number here? 1650, okay. 1615. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. John chapter 11 is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And I'm going to read just the first five verses because it's these same two sisters. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the, lo- the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So there's a couple things from that passage that I want us to hear before we jump back into the Luke passage that kind of set the context for us. One is that John, uh, when he's writing, names the town where they live, which is Bethany. And Bethany is uh, just a stone's throw from Jerusalem. So we've heard already from Luke that Jesus has turned, he set his face like Flint, Luke said, toward Jerusalem. He's, He's obeying the Father's guidance to go to the place where he will make atonement for all of our sins. And yet we're only, by numbers, we're only halfway through the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke doesn't say Bethany, he says just a certain village. And that's because Luke doesn't want to call attention yet to the fact that Jesus is so close, because Luke is placing about ten chapters of teaching on the lips of Jesus right here. So 
Luke has already had Jesus demonstrating the kingdom. He's had Jesus bringing the kingdom. He's had Jesus healing, binding up the brokenhearted, setting free the captives, driving out evil spirits. Jesus is bringing the kingdom. But Luke hasn't placed a lot of teaching on Jesus' lips yet. That's coming next. And so Luke doesn't want us to get too far ahead. He wants us to hear the teaching. Second thing I want us to notice is that Jesus knows Mary and Martha. And he doesn't just know them. He knows them well. And he loves them. The Mary who uh, anointed Jesus' feet with this expensive bottle of perfume is the same Mary who we would read in another part of the Gospels had seven demons driven out of her. So this is a two sisters and a brother, one who's undergone deliverance, one who later is raised from the dead, all three of whom Jesus knows. And, and John makes the point twice, Jesus loved them. Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus loved them. So when Jesus comes to Bethany and to Mary and Martha's home today, he's coming into a context or into a, a, a family that he knows and that he loves and where he's already had some interaction, okay? So now let me begin. And let me begin by saying, I, I just need to lay my cards on the table. And, and i got to tell you that at first glance, this is a text that's really hard for me. Because um, Martha is my kind of girl. And if Martha were a guy, she'd be my kind of guy. Martha is a, she's a get-her-done kind of girl. You know, if you think about it, uh, lunch has got to get cooked. And ain't nobody else cooking but Martha. And, and, uh, and what happens if Martha doesn't cook? Huh? Yeah. And, and is everybody happy with no food in their tummy? We all know the answer to that. So, Jesus, you know, why are you coming down so hard on Martha? It's hard for me to step into this text at first. But here's, let's step in. Here's Jesus. He's coming to town, and word travels. We know that. When Jesus is coming, everybody knows about it. Can't keep it a secret. And so Jesus is coming, and Martha's getting ready. Martha hears he's coming, and Martha's a good host. And um, in just about every culture besides this one, being a good host means you don't let somebody step foot in your home without feeding them. It is... unspeakable, unthinkable. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. What you got, you give. If you don't have, you go get something from your neighbor to give it. When somebody comes to your house, you set out food and drink and you refresh them. And so Martha is Martha's being normal. Martha hears Jesus coming and she goes to get ready. And so I imagine Martha goes to market first thing in the morning and she picks up a slab of fresh meat and she picks up some vegetables and she gets a going on cooking. And Martha she's in that kitchen slicing and dicing and basting and right at home with Vic. She is, she's getting ready and it's starting to smell good. And Jesus comes and Jesus is welcomed and Jesus goes into the living room and the crowd and whoever's all with him and the disciples and Mary are in the living room. And after a little bit while, Martha notices that help isn't there. Where's Mary? You know, and so she, she, well, Mary's coming. She'll come. But Mary didn't come, and so Martha starts to get a little bit irritated. Hey, how come I'm here all alone? You know, this is really important. Uh, this is the thing to do. We've got to prepare a feast. And so where's Mary? 
Well, I'll leave it a little bit longer. But, you know, you ever heard the word stew and brew? She starts to stew and she starts to brew and she doesn't, she doesn't drop it. She just keeps the stewing. And so finally, after uh, maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours, you know, it takes a while to cook a feast. Finally, Martha's just brewed up enough that, all right, I've got to do something about this. I'm going to go tell off God. Boom. I don't think she said that. I think she brewed enough that she got to the point where she's going to do something about it. And so she barges her way into the living room and Jesus, you know, I think you can smell this and, uh, and it smells really good. And, you know, there's a lot of work going on in the kitchen and I'm all alone in there. And, um, it, you know, I could use some help and send Mary into the kitchen. And so Jesus, Jesus says, oh, Martha, I'm so sorry. We totally neglected to notice that you're in the kitchen by yourself. How could we have done that? Mary, why don't you go help her? And, uh, you know, Deborah and John, why don't you two go? No, he doesn't do that, does he? He, he actually gives her a gentle rebuke. She's asking for help. She's working all alone. And he gives her a gentle rebuke. Now, think about this with me for a minute. Jesus loves feasts. He likes them so much that he's actually accused by the religious leaders of being a glutton and a drunkard. He loves a good party. He loves a good meal. He loves the fellowship. He loves it. So there's a little something going on here beneath the surface that... We need to dial into what is happening that Jesus is rebuking Martha for coming out and saying, send Mary to help me. Well, if we'll dig a little deeper, the answer is going to be found in two words. Two words that Jesus speaks to Martha. And uh, I'm going to look at them here because they're a little a little bit tongue twisters. The words are I'm going to give you the Greek first and then the English. Okay, Peri spaomai. Martha, you're perispaomai, and you're merimnao. What does that mean? Perispaomai means distracted. That's the way the NIV translates it, but the meaning is a whole lot bigger. He's saying, Martha, you're not just distracted. The meaning is you're pulled. You're being, something's pulling you, Martha. Something's acting on you. And actually, the word has within it the meaning dragged away. Martha, something's distracting you. It's pulling you away. It's dragging you from the place where you maybe should be. Something's dragging so much so, Martha, that you are merimnao, which means you are anxious, but not just a little anxious. You're unduly concerned. You are overly concerned. And when Scripture uses this word elsewhere, it has within it the meaning of you are being caught up or concerned with uh, the things of the world. Like you've got a worldly attitude. Your focus is on things that aren't of God so much that it's pulling you, dragging you away from the things of God. Now, is Jesus saying that food isn't of the things of God and that food's dragging her away from the things of God? No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is that Martha's got her priorities mixed up. So here's Jesus laying out a feast of his own. 
The Jesus who loves feasts is in the living room and he is the host in this situation. He is turning things on their head. Never mind that you need to host in the Middle East. Jesus is the host, not Martha. And he's spreading a banquet. He's spreading a table in that living room. People who are sitting at his feet are eating and they are drinking and they are drinking words of life. And they're hearing about the kingdom of God and the person and the character of God. And they are hearing truth like they've never heard truth before. And their hearts are coming alive like they've not before. And some of them are being healed. Jesus is in the living room setting a banquet for everybody who's present. And when God is in your living room, it doesn't matter what's in the kitchen. But Martha can't let go. She cannot let go of the fact that you're supposed to. That, that the culture would say that the right thing to do is, and so my priority is, and so I'm, I'm anxious and caught up in and dragged away from Jesus in my living room. Jesus setting a feast. Jesus feeding people's spirits, their souls. He's feeding souls. Is food important? Yeah, for the body. Is food important? Yeah, for the soul, for the spirit. How many days does it take a human being to dehydrate and die? If they don't have water. Thank you, Betty Shaw. It's three. Three days. How many days does it take a human being to dehydrate and die if they aren't drinking words of life from the living God? If they aren't eating and feeding and feasting? Martha's concern to lay out a feast for the belly. And that feast will taste good. But tomorrow... It might be remembered. And the day after, probably not so much. And its only effect is to feel good in the present. Not a bad thing, but not the most important thing. Mary's chosen the thing, the thing that fills, that won't be taken away. And Jesus does something really neat when he uses these words and he says to her, Martha, Martha, you're distracted and you're anxious about many things, but, but few things are needful. Indeed, even one, only one. Jesus is actually using those words to talk about two different things. On the one hand, he's first saying to her, he's talking about food. And he's saying only a few things are necessary. We didn't need this whole feast. We could have had a couple bowls of fruit and olives. Only a few things. That's it. Indeed, only one, only one would have sustained us. One thing. But he isn't just talking about food. He's talking about one thing. That's the second meaning. One thing that really sustains us. One thing that gives life. One thing that needs to be the priority above every other thing. Eating and drinking words that bring life 
to our spirits, to our souls, and to our bodies. Elsewhere, Scripture says, I have given them your word. This is Jesus. Your sanctify them. Make them holy by your word. Scripture says that the word washes. It cleanses. Scripture says that the word is like what Jesus says, quoting Deuteronomy. Man, don't live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because God's words are partnered with God's spirit and God's spirit brings life. And so you can eat and fill your belly and be dead. You can eat and fill your belly and be empty. You can eat and fill your belly and it's gone tomorrow. But the words that we live by, the words that are eternal, that give life to our souls, those are God's words. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. That proceeds from the mouth of God. And then Jesus says to his disciples when they come to him in John 4, by, by the Samaritan woman by the well, and they're all confused. He, why isn't he hungry? You know, and, uh, and Jesus says to them, I have food that you know nothing about. My food, it strengthens me, it fills me. My food, he says, is to do the will of God my Father in heaven. Food that we take in that cannot be taken from us. Food that we take in that nourishes as the most important food of all. And so Jesus scolds Martha because of her inability to adjust. Her inability to to flip-flop priorities. Her inability to to make adjustments for the presence and the reality of Jesus now in her life. See, because before Jesus was in her life, uh, that cultural thing was just fine as the number one thing. It's wonderful to set a feast for ho- as a host. But when Jesus comes with his kingdom into your life and brings new life, the priorities go like they get shaken up. And he comes out on top. He's king. He's Lord. He's shepherd. And he gets number one every day. And Mary, Mary's adjusted. Mary's breaking the rules. Mary should be in the kitchen. Many people say Mary as a woman shouldn't be at Jesus' feet. But Mary's in the one place where we should all be doing the one thing that will never be taken from any one of us. Eating and drinking words of life. So friends, let's do this. Let's turn the camera on ourselves. Let's ask ourselves, have we readjusted Do our priorities look like Mary's? Do our priorities look like time daily eating and drinking at the feet of Jesus? I'm not talking about a verse. 
One verse. You know, like a one verse and then a two-paragraph devotional. I'm talking about fellowship with the living God through His Word, eating and drinking, sitting at Jesus' feet, taking in His teaching, correction, love, encouragement, instruction, building up. Or do we find ourselves merimnao, anxious, distracted, unduly, overly distracted, focused on things that aren't the main thing. Good things, maybe. Really good, but not the main thing. But Jesus, Jesus, you don't know about the 11 baskets of laundry in my laundry room. I took a picture of it two weeks ago because it was so big. You don't know about the 2,124 emails in my inbox. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know if that's the exact number, but it's really high. <laughs> Jesus, you don't know about my family and the chaos and what I have to live with. Jesus, my friends, they pull on me. My job, my, my to-do list, my... One thing, one thing is needful. One thing, and anything that perispaumizes us, that drags us away from that one thing, and from that one person, and from our intimate attachment to that one person, is dragging us away from life, and is bringing that lack of focus, that distraction, that anxiety, that worry, that whatever. One thing, Jesus says, is needful. And that one thing is the one way that He pours His one holy, good life into us. And I can see that He's speaking to every one of you right now. And so I'm going to step off the stage. And we're going to spend some time in the Lord's presence just in silence. Because I believe He's calling for reordering of lives. He's calling for a re-commitment of our priority to one thing. And we're going to say yes to Him in the silence of our hearts. We're going to say yes. We're going to agree with Him. And that one thing then will not be taken from us. I want to leave you with one image as we go into prayer. I have a 120-foot oak tree in my backyard. I'm, I'm guessing it's about that high. It's really big. It's about eight feet around the base. That oak tree has sucked up water for years and years and years. You cannot move it in a storm. It barely moves. Because it's been sucking up the one thing 
that would give it strength, life, fruitfulness in the form of several hundred thousand acorns. I've also got a little tree that looks like this. That hasn't been sucking up very much. God's expressed will, desire, and purpose for every one of you is that your life, that you be an oak of righteousness filled with His strength, His life, His love. He longs to pour living water daily in, on, through. Let's say yes to Him.